Hey, everybody. I'm Hannah Cox. And I'm Brad Palumbo. We're the host of the Base Politics Network, and we want you to join us for our weekly news roundup, The Base Brief. We believe in teaching people how to think, not what to think. So if you're tired of getting your news from overtly partisan journalists, this show is for you. We have no tribe, we pull no punches, and the only team we root for is the free market and individual liberty. On top of that, we're two good friends who both work as libertarian conservative commentators, but we don't always agree. On The Base Brief, we let you in on the conversations we're already having as we work to analyze the impact of public policies, spill the industry tea, and hash out our hot takes. Plus, you'll get bonus interviews with top liberty lawmakers and influencers like Senator Rand Paul, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and Libertarian Party vice presidential nominee Spike Cohen. Search Based Politics on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe now. That's B-A-S-E-D politics. We can't wait to catch up with you. And in the meantime, stay based. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, and I'm by myself today. Same thing as yesterday. Uh, we'll we'll figure out whether or not Charlie has COVID. We're not exactly sure. It's highly unlikely because, you know, he's double vaxxed and all that stuff. So I'm sure that's not what's actually going to happen. Anyway, it's Dumb Bleep of the Week. This is our most popular episode of the week. This is where we finally get to talk about some of the dumbest stuff that we saw, that I saw, circulating around the internet this week. And man, is it a doozy. It's, uh, I got eight of them today. I normally try to keep it around six, seven, eight, something like that. And I ended up having to cut out a couple. I felt like 10 was just going to be way too many things to go through and still actually be able to talk about those things. So, so anyway, I think that we're just going to get going. I wanted to say thank you to everyone who is watching live in our discord, which they got to by going to goodmorningliberty.locals.com, paying as little as five bucks a month so they can hang out, they can vote for dumb bleep of the week. And they can also uh, watch and chat with us throughout all the upper, uh, other all the other episodes as well. I can't talk today, which is going to be an issue because we have a lot of stuff going on. I already did an interview right before this, which is going to be coming out on Sunday. You definitely want to check that out for sure. It was really good, and we're definitely going to have him on as often as possible. It was great. And everyone who's in the locals is going to be getting that here in just a little bit. Let's get going on this thing. The first one comes from Gaslight NBC. Oh, there's a reason that we talk about this stuff all the time. By the way, we went through all the numbers on the economic growth. I think we just went, I think I just went through that yesterday on the economic growth. You guys, you guys know, we talk about this all the time. We just came out of a year where the economy was shut down, where there was negative growth uh, because you weren't allowed to do anything. And now, of course, the Biden, administ- the Biden administration is touting all of these really good GDP numbers, these really good, uh, all of the jobs, all of the business applications, all that stuff. Man, the percentages are just so good. And it has nothing to do with the fact that we're coming from a year where the economy was shut down. Nothing like that at all. It's because these liberal policies are the best thing for everyone. Well, anyway, this one was called Economic Growth is So Strong, the GOP is literally at a loss for words. Okay. Around this time, they point out in this article, around this time, three years ago, in a response to encouraging news on economic growth, Republican National Committee Chair Ronna McDaniel published a celebratory tweet saying you can't deny our economy is roaring fastest GDP growth in 13 years, record low unemployment. Thank you, Donald Trump. They say this came to mind yesterday after the public learned that economic growth in 2021 reached its highest level in nearly four decades, 
on the heels of the news that the economy created 6.4 million jobs last year and saw the sharpest one-year improvement in the unemployment rate on record. Wow. Wow. Holy, holy crap. This is so good. Everyone's doing such a good job. I always, I always try to actually ask myself, do people really believe this? Do people look at this? And they're like, man, look how good we look. We're doing such a good job. Or does really everyone that, re- everyone that reads this, surely they know, right? They know. Wait, the economy was shut down the previous year. Maybe that has something to do with these numbers. I don't know. They point out that the RNC did, didn't even bother to issue a statement House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell similarly acted as if the developments weren't worthy of acknowledgement. In other words, economic growth was so good in Biden's first year in the White House that Republicans literally find themselves at a loss for words. Okay, keep it up. That's fine if you really want to pretend like this is all really good economic growth. I spent a lot of time yesterday talking about this and getting real deep into the numbers. So if you're interested in all of that, go listen to yesterday's episode. I think it's called Record GDP Growth, something like that. Go listen to that episode if you want to know all of my thoughts on that stuff. Okay, so that's dumb leap number one. The economic growth was so good that the GOP is at a loss for words. Dumb leap number one. We got to take a break so I can tell you about our new sponsor, the Bound by Oath podcast. Why is it so difficult to sue police and other government officials, even when they're violating the Constitution? The Bound by Oath podcast examines legal doctrines like qualified immunity that close the courthouse doors on victims of government misconduct. Brought to you by the Institute for Justice, a nonprofit law firm that litigates police brutality, free speech, and other civil rights cases. Bound by Oath is a legal history podcast with scholars, journalists, and litigators that feature stories of real people fighting to hold government officials accountable for using excessive force, lying on the witness stand, for putting innocent people in prison, and much more. You can listen to Bound by Oath on any podcast app, and I can tell you right now, you're going to like it. If you like this podcast, you're going to like that one. Go find Bound by Oath on your favorite podcast app today. Dumbling number two has to do with this Supreme Court pick. And there's a lot of people talking out there about how this is a, an affirmative action pick. Okay, that's kind of the case since you're narrowing it down to only a, only a black female would, would be the person that we're going to pick for this spot. Okay. Whatever. That doesn't mean that the person, by the way, that they choose is less qualified than everyone else if they have really good qualifications and they're the best person for the job. It's just pretty annoying when they say they're only going to pick someone from this very specific subset of people. But they're talking about what conservatives really mean when they say Biden's potential nominees are unqualified. And of course, what they really mean is that they're racist. They only want white people to be on. They only want white men to be on the Supreme Court. That's really what conservatives mean. Okay, they go on and talk about Sonia Sotomayor, who has just had to deal with this reality the whole time, no matter what she does. She just has to put up with the fact that she's everyone says she's unqualified because of the reasons that she was picked. Okay, they say Sotomayor, who graduated summa cum laude and Phi Beta Kappa from Princeton, has been derided as a dim bulb affirmative action pick. Conservative commentators accuse her of stupidity and ignorance for making uncontroversial points. Yeah. Very uncontroversial points. And, um, I mean, listen, we have no, we have no recent examples, right? I have nothing that I can pull from that she's ever said, uh, that was really, really dumb or ignorant or anything like that. I don't know, like a hundred thousand kids being in the hospital and a bunch of them on ventilators because of COVID who knows? No, no way of knowing. And then they go on to say in a bit of gaslighting, it's the Republicans that are gaslighting. They're claiming that Biden and his defenders are the real racists. Of course, because you know, they're gaslighting because they are the racists here. And, and Biden 
excluding everyone except for a black female pick. Well, they're saying that he's a racist. It's really because they're racist. You guys know the thing. It should be no surprise that once Trump left office, the right's suspicion of all non-white male nominees reemerged with full force. It's not a suspicion, by the way, of all white, uh, non-white male nominees. The suspicion comes from you saying that you aren't going to pick the person based on their qualifications, based on them knowing the most about the Constitution, or based on them being the best judge. It says that the specifications are what their skin color and their sex are. Okay, that's where the actual suspicions come in. I don't know. They did point out, by the way, that Trump said that uh, basically it was widely said that they picked Amy Coney Barrett because she was a woman. And I'm, I'm not denying that. I'm sure that numerous Supreme Court justices have been picked on the basis of their race and their sex before. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. Both sides do this thing. We all know that they do. They go on to say it is extraordinary that the real injury here is to the white men who will go unrepresented on a Supreme Court that has had an approximately 95% white male composition throughout history. It's extraordinary that no one thinks of this enduring overrepresentation of white men as the ultimate expression of identity politics. You see, I just don't... Maybe this is how people look at it. I don't know. I don't look at the... Uh, representation on the Supreme Court based on race or sex. Like, oh, you know what I need? I need to make sure there's a, a white man representing me on the Supreme Court. No, I want someone representing the Constitution. That's what I want on the Supreme Court. I don't care what their race or sex is. I, I don't get it. I do not get it. And then they're, then they're talking about... I, I, I don't know. They're going talking about identity politics and everything. Listen, this is not because people are racist only, and they only want white men on the Supreme Court. What people really want to hear, what some people really want to hear, I don't know. What they want to hear is we are going to pick the best person for the job because these days this is a pretty gold or an important job. Okay. And so you know what we're going to do for this job? We're going to pick the best person for it. Wouldn't that feel better? Not like, oh, you need a... <laughs> Black women are not being represented whenever there's votes on the Supreme Court. Obviously, only a black woman is going to vote in line with what black women need on the Supreme Court. Because that's the only way that anyone thinks, right? All right, that's dumb bleep number two. Oh, man, this next one, dumb bleep number three. The U.S. is looking to have more say in crypto regulation. That's right, they're looking... At crypto regulations, that's what we've been missing in the industry, is government regulation. Uh, that's what's wrong with it. That's why it's down right now. And I do know that it's been down because people are worried about what the regulations will be. There is actually a case to be made that crypto is going to come back up some once they actually put the regulations in place because some stability is what people want. But we don't need regulation in crypto. The whole idea is to get away from this stuff, to decentralize. And of course, the government doesn't like that. They don't like competition. The Fed does not like competition because they create their crappy coin that consistently loses value. In fact, it's supposed to consistently lose value. It's worked into the rules. It's supposed to consistently lose value. And they don't like that because what if you decided to put your money into something else that was going to gain in value over time? Man, then they're going to lose some of their reserves potentially. But that's not what it is. That is not what they're worried about. You know what they're worried about? National security. That is what they're worried about. National security. It's no coincidence that other nations that tend to be fairly tyrannical also do things on the basis of national security. Yesterday's episode comes to mind when I mentioned the fact that China recently changed the ending to the movie Fight Club on the basis of national security. This is always what they use. All right, let's read a little bit here. The new order could be signed as early as next month and is slated to bring regulatory, economic, and national security challenges surrounding crypto into the limelight. 
Various agencies throughout the nation would be expected to develop reports and documents detailing their findings and discuss the systemic risks that come with investing in digital currency. Some words here from Gary Gensler, who runs the SEC. He says, crypto is rife with fraud, scams, and abuse in certain applications. We need additional congressional authorities to prevent transactions, products, and platforms from falling between regulatory cracks. You know, it's not rife with scams or frauds or abuses is the U.S. dollar. You've hardly ever seen that before. We've got that stuff worked out. We've been using the U.S. dollar for a long time. And throughout all this time, they've finally weeded out all of the fraud, scams, and abuses inside of the U.S. dollar. That's why it was so good to have the regulation. That's why it's so good to have the Fed, because they've finally taken care of this stuff. The SEC has finally gotten rid of all of the fraud and scams and abuses throughout all the time that they've been regulating the markets. Here are some reasons that they argue in favor of the regulation, because it's going to increase investor protection. They say they're hidden risks that many investors don't consider. Well, we could fix that pretty quickly. Maybe investors should consider risks. Okay, now we don't have to worry about this. For example, if you put your savings into an interest-earning crypto platform, how sure are you that your cash is protected? What if the platform goes bankrupt or gets hacked? These are things regulation could eventually address. Yeah, regulation is going to stop things from getting hacked. Uh, for sure, because nothing ever gets hacked. Anyway, um, the market could solve that, by the way. If you wanted to alleviate that problem, you could be uh, you could be an institution that offers people crypto, and also offers that protection, that type of FDIC insurance on the account. You could just offer that, and you would have a leg up over the competition. And when people are worried about that, then that is the one that they would go towards. I don't know. It could now. This is a big one. This one right here. It could prevent money laundering and tax evasion that's one of the main things that they're worried about by the way tax evasion many argue that criminals use the anonymous nature of crypto trading to launder their ill-gotten gains making regulation essential there's a fear that cryptocurrency cash is being used to finance terrorism or funnel money from illegal activities and of course to try and evade taxes Stuff like that. Oh, man. This is all so clearly obvious. Cryptocurrency, especially stable coins, could impact the wider economy. The fiat-backed stable coins are pegged to, to traditional currencies like the dollar. In theory, they should be backed one-to-one -one by assets held in reserve. That way, if everybody tried to withdraw their tokens at the same time, they could. But right now, that's not the case. For example... Tether, the biggest stablecoin, supports about half its tokens through a type of short-term debt called commercial paper. If there's a run on Tether, investors may find they can't access their money. Do banks keep all of the money that people have in their accounts available if there's a run on the banks? Is it all, is it all in there? And we're talking about Tether only having half of the actual assets in reserve. Do banks have half? In reserve? I don't know. Someone who's more knowledgeable, knowledgeable about that maybe can tell me. The crypto industry, here's another reason they want regulation. The crypto industry can't reach its full potential without more regulation. That's right. It's for the people. This is for the people, the little people who can't get crypto or won't get crypto because they're waiting on regulation. At the moment, only 14% of Americans own crypto. Regulation that protects retail investors might encourage more people to dip their toes into the crypto waters. Without clear guidelines, it's very difficult for cryptocurrency investors and future users to be sure that they're in safe waters. That's what really makes me feel safe is when the government comes in and regulates something. That's when you know that there's no way any shady business is going on. You finally feel safe to put your money into whatever it is because the government is watching over you. And they're going to make sure that nothing bad happens. Okay, so that's dumb leap number three. The old government's going to come in and fix crypto for us because it's got some big problems. 
And what we've been needing is the government to come in and regulate it. Number four, CNN's Jim Acosta compares Virginia to a Soviet-style police state under Glenn Youngkin. This guy's really getting to work. Glenn Youngkin is in his first uh, month in office. He's already got a Soviet-style police state over there. It's crazy. Man, very efficient. Quote, In office less than two weeks, and Governor Glenn Youngkin has already set up an email tip line for parents to report teachers for teaching divisive subjects. He said while claiming that the tactic of, he's claiming that it's a tactic of pitting citizen against citizen. He also said, you know, I seem to remember Glenn Youngkin campaigning in a fleece vest in Virginia. He was running as a different kind of Republican. I was told there was going to be a vest, not a Soviet-style police state across the, the Potomac from Washington. A Soviet-style police state. Now, here's what they're, here's what they're doing. They have a tip line for parents to call in if they think that teachers are still doing some of this uh, CRT type stuff in the schools. Now, I can understand how that sounds uh, pretty bad. Okay, you got a tip line calling in people. Here's where I start to be okay with it on philosophical grounds. The teachers work for the government and they are using money that has been forcefully taken from you against your will. And having a tip line where you can call in and say that you think those people who are teaching your kids are doing something that you don't agree with, well, you know, I think that that is uh, maybe okay. All right? I think that's maybe okay. Now, this is all going to be very subjective, divisive, divisive subjects. What, uh, what exactly is going to be divisive? Obviously, they're pointing towards CRT stuff to make sure that this kind of thing is not going on in the classroom. But this is just like having a Soviet-style police state. This is the weird thing. It always reminds me of uh, the sheriff in New York that wouldn't enforce the mask mandates. And the uh, governor called him a, uh, a fascist, Right. Is that what he called him? A, an authoritarian? A fascist? Something like that for not enforcing the mask mandates? They, they'll call this a Soviet-style police state and something that's pitting citizens against citizens. What about all the freaking COVID rules out there? What about everything else? None of that? Call him a dictator? Yeah, I, can't, I couldn't remember exactly. Yeah, that's right. It was a dictator. That's what it was. Not a fascist. Not an authoritarian. It was a dictator. But they won't apply that to uh, all of the, listen, it's not Soviet-style police state yet. We know that, okay? When I make the comparison, I'm not saying that we're literally living in a Soviet-style police state. But if you're going to draw comparisons, I would say we have a whole lot more comparisons. In this case, they call it that because you are calling in tips against the government. And they don't like that. You're calling in tips against the old government that they actually like. So when the people are calling in tips against the people who work for the government, that's bad. But when you're calling into the government for things that people are doing in their lives, that's good. That's fine. That makes complete and total sense. We'll stick with the uh, CRT thing, but we're going to move to Florida real quick for number five. This also from Gaslight NBC. Ron DeSantis-backed Sad white people bill has roots in Florida's racist past. How many, how many ridiculous things can you fit into a headline? This is the Ron DeSantis backed sad white people bill has roots in Florida's racist past. That's so good. Very skilled. Those gaslighters over there at NBC, really good stuff. It's clear, coming from the article now, it's clear that the Florida bill is designed to coddle white people, even though it doesn't mention them specifically. And to make this point, they pull a quote, some of the evil text from the evil bill, the evil racist, terrible bill. Here's how evil, terrible, racist, sad white people bill this is right here. Quote, an individual by virtue of his or her race or sex does not bear responsibility for actions committed in the past 
by other members of the same race or sex. The bill states, Ooh, that is bad. I see what they're talking about there. An individual should not be made to feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race. Now, I believe in that morally. I would say in the context of a bill, that's a tough one because those are very subjective terms that are very different for each person. For instance, one person might not feel any of those things with the same thing being taught, but one person might feel those things with the same thing being taught. Or someone could feel those things and something should be well within the bounds of something a teacher could be teaching. I don't know. So anyhow, that's a very subjective part of the bill. I get that. We'll continue on here. Educating people about the inhumane ways white people position themselves atop America's social hierarchy is a direct threat to that racist power structure. That's, that's what this is. Once again, the main thing, this is what really blew up the CRT thing. It's not teaching that racism has existed throughout history. It's not teaching about slavery or anything like that. I tell you, the, what I would assume the main thing that got people upset are, is teachers treating the white students like they were still oppressors, like they were oppressors, like they were responsible for what other people who had the same skin color as them had done in the past, which sounds racist, just saying, and also making the other students feel negatively towards those white students because what other people who had the same skin colors them had done in the past. That is completely ridiculous. You know, one thing, if you could imagine, imagine there was a crime class. Imagine there was a, there was a class just about crime. And you could talk about crime and that or why it's right or why it's wrong, but here's what you're going to do in the class. All, during this class, all we're going to do is talk about statistics. And the statistics we're going to talk about is how many of those crimes are committed by black people around the country uh, as in uh, uh, proportionate to the actual population size and how many crimes are committed. And we're going to also, we're just going to talk about uh, all the crimes of uh, black people versus other races and all of that. And in our crime class, that's really what we're going to talk about actually is how, um, the statistics on crime seem to be overrepresented uh, by minorities. Now, did I teach anyone anything about crime in that? Really? Are we going to stop it? Are we going to learn about it? Are we going to do anything like that? No. Am I going to potentially make the other students in the class uh, feel feel bad? What if there's what if, what if there's black students in the class and I'm like I didn't commit any crimes? You're talking about other people. I think that people on the other side of the aisle might actually have an issue with this. Kind of the same thing. I don't know. It's a little bit of a rough analogy. Continuing on, Florida conservatives are prioritizing white hypersensitivity over truthful teachings. <clears throat> Once again, teaching about those statistics on crime would be true. But what are you teaching with that? They're apparently saying lessons about America's racist and sexist past are acceptable only if they don't offend white people. To me, here's where it starts to get real dumb. To me, these new demands for fealty to fragile whiteness sound like a re-up of the black codes, which are laws instituted during and after the Civil War to reinforce white supremacy. And that's how it's got roots to the racist past. This is a re-up of the black codes. It's not even Jim Crow anymore. Now we're going further. We're going back to 1865 now. Just in case you're wondering, under the, uh, under the black codes, many states require black people to sign yearly labor contracts. If they refuse, they risk being arrested, fined, and forced into unpaid labor. Mississippi's law required black people to have written evidence of employment for the coming year each January. If they left before the end of the contract, they'd be forced to forfeit their earlier wages and were subject to arrest. In South Carolina, a law prohibited black people from holding any occupation other than farmer or servant unless they paid an annual tax from $10 to $100. 
Some states limited the type of property that black people could own, while, while virtually all the former Confederate states passed strict vagrancy and labor contract laws, also called anti-enticement measures designed to punish anyone who offered higher wages to a black laborer already under contract. Black people who broke labor contracts were subject to arrest, beating, and forced labor, and apprenticeship laws forced many miners into unpaid labor for white planters. So yeah, uh, laws against teaching CRT in schools sound just like a re-up of the black codes. I don't know if you guys drew all the comparisons while I was reading those, but it's essentially the same thing. It's a really, really great comparison right there. Great job, Gaslight NBC. Okay, that was number five. Already rolling through here. Well, we got a couple videos we'll be going through here in a second. Yeah, like Costco, it's 100% the exact same thing. Like I said, I can't even say Jim Crow 2.0 anymore. That's not 2.1. That's not Jim Crow 3.0. No, we got to go further back. We got to, this is worse than Jim Crow. Jim Crow is a cakewalk compared to what these anti-CRT laws are. I don't know if you guys could tell. Uh, it definitely makes sense. Okay. We got to take a break and talk about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness, something preventing you from achieving your goals? I've gone through this before. Charlie's gone through this before. He uses BetterHelp himself. I've gone and talked to counselors before. Sometimes maybe you're being a little bit too hard on yourself. Maybe there's a different perspective that you need to look out for. Taking care of your mental health is something that is very important and it's also very possible. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You're going to connect in a safe and private online environment, so much more convenient than fighting traffic, going into the office somewhere. You just get on the app and talk to someone. You can start talking to them in under 24 hours. This is not some self-help app. This is actual professional counseling. You can send a message to your counselor anytime, and you're going to get a timely and thoughtful response. And you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to go to that freaking waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to giving you great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if you need to. If they match you up with someone and you don't like them, you can switch over to someone else. It's more affordable than actually going into the office because you're just doing it over an app. And this is available worldwide. You got expertise in so many different areas. Depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family, grief, self-esteem. Anything you share is confidential. This is very convenient, it's professional, it's affordable because you're doing it through an app instead of going into the office. You can go to the website and check out the testimonials. And by the way, this is not a crisis line. So many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. There's a reason for that because a lot of people are using this app to get help. If you want to start living a happier life today as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash GML. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P. That's betterhelp.com slash GML. Number six, San Jose approves the first U.S. law mandating liability insurance for gun owners. We talked about when they proposed this a little while back. They did officially vote, and it is law in San Jose, although it is already being challenged in court. I don't know if it's going to hold up. The San Jose, California City Council ta has taken a major step towards passage of a law that would require gun-owning residents of the city to hold liability insurance. A law would also require gun owners to pay a $25 annual fee to be collected by a nonprofit and dispersed to other organizations toward gun safety training domestic violence prevention, suicide prevention, and mental health services. The two ordinances will be the first of their kind in the U.S. Mayor Sam Licardo acknowledged that this won't stop mass shootings or keep bad people from committing violent crime. So what's it going to do? What is it actually going to do? Well, those fees that they're going to be raising, $25 annual fee with the 55,000 gun owners they have, they think is going to raise about $1.3 million a year for the city. That's what it's actually going to do because the mayor actually said it's not going to stop 
any of the, any of the violent crime. Okay. However, also, this is just a great law. Gun owners who don't have insurance won't lose their guns or face any criminal charges. The mayor said, yes, that is right. This law is to encourage people to get insurance. Originally, now they talked about how this law changed from the time it was originally proposed to now. Originally, the annual fees collected were designed to offset the annual cost the city incurs responding to firearm incidents. Now, though, the roughly 1.3 million expected to be collected will be sent to a nonprofit to distribute funds to other organizations, providing evidence-based solutions like suicide prevention, mental health and addiction services and firearm training or victim compensation. Who's going to be running those nonprofits, you ask? We don't know because they don't exist yet. They're going to be uh, created later on. The problem for many council members, however, even though they still voted in favor, is the nonprofit has not been created yet, which means there are a lot of unknowns, including how funds will be collected, potential legal challenges, the role of nonprofit and its likely impact, and the city's role, or lack thereof, in oversight. Council member Maya Esparza, who voted in favor of it, by the way, said such a program will not help residents in her district who often deal with gun violence. She also noted that insurance agents she spoke to said only accidental firings outside of a household could potentially be covered. Negligence or criminal behavior would not. Said, I spoke with two insurance agents, including my own, from different companies, and neither of them said that negligence use is specifically covered in their policies. I'm not certain how we can require a specific type of insurance that does not exist. Okay, there we go. And some, uh, a few stats on here. During uh, this is what they had on their bill, by the way. They put this in here for their stats. 2010 to 2014 in Santa Clara County, 31% of emergency department visits and 16% of hospitalizations from firearm injuries were due to unintentional shootings. Now, here's the issue with this whole thing, uh, among other issues. Here's the exceptions to this rule that they're passing in here. Of course, exceptions. Anyone who's a police officer, except, uh, exceptions. Also, People who have a license to carry a concealed weapon issued pursuant to the California Penal Code. This, this, and this. So if you have a license to carry your firearm, you are exempt <laughs> from the rule. It's going to do a whole lot of good. So here's what this basically covers. If you, can carry, if you have a concealed carry permit, you don't have to get it. This is for people who have guns in their houses. Okay, and for basically unintentional discharges of firearms where people are getting injured in their houses is all that this is going to be made to cover. But the insurance agencies say that their their plans don't cover things that happen inside of the house. <laughs> this is just a really great idea. They're they're all just really killing it right now. Good job, everyone. What they've successfully done is made it sound like they were going to do something to help with gun violence. So as far as a win goes, they were able to have that win, which they passed a gun control measure. Now, is it going to be determined uh, constitutional? I don't know. I don't know if this is actually going to be constitutional. Who knows these days? I got to, well, we don't have to anymore in Tennessee, but I had to pay to get a permit to be able to, to be able to carry a gun. That doesn't sound constitutional to me. Uh, so you already have to do this. And then there's the issue with liability insurance. Well, you got to have liability insurance for your car, right? So the, do you have a right to drive your car? Yeah, they still force you to get liability insurance. So when using something else that could potentially harm other people or yourself, can they force you to get liability insurance? I don't know. There is that pesky Second Amendment thing that's going to get in the way. So we'll, we'll see if this is even going to hold up in the courts. I'm not exactly sure it's going to. Okay, the next thing here, let me bring up the video real quick. It's a little bit ridiculous. This was posted by Libs of TikTok a few days ago. I found it, saved it, especially for today. Been sitting on it all week. This is a scene that uh, transpired in an elevator 
when there was a black man on the elevator not wearing a mask and these two old white ladies got on the elevator with their masks on and tried to force the guy out of the elevator because he didn't have a mask on. And he started recording with his phone. So let's see how that went. Get out. Get out. Get out. What are you guys doing? Get out. What are you guys doing? Get out. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I'm not touching you. Did you just hit me? Did you just hit me? You just hit me. You just hit me. You too? Black Lives Matter. Yo, this is great. Wow. Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter. Yo, stop. Stop recording. I don't know you. Yo, you need to stop. Get out. I'm not getting out. I was here. Yes, you are. Okay. Do I need to say anything? Yeah, I'll say something. So, <laughs> this is from Karen's of Libs of TikTok. Thank you for posting that. Great, great Twitter. Oh, okay. So there's a black guy in the elevator. Two old white ladies try to push him out. Um, they end up hitting him, trying to get him out. And then after they hit him, they start yelling "Black Lives Matter." And then they switch to get out Black Lives Matter. Oh my gosh. The insanity. That's number seven, just so you guys can remember it. The total <laughs> insanity. I don't even know what to say about it. I don't think it requires me saying anything else about it. But don't worry, there's other contenders that could still jump up on the list right here. Let me pull that up real quick. This is not the only crazy video that we're going to watch. This is the last one from Justin Trudeau. You guys have heard about the convoy. Everyone knows that. Oh, Joe Bizzle says it violates the rando clause. But it's so dumb. It's so dumb. It's crazy. I can't ignore it. There's no way. You guys have heard about the trucker convoy. A lot of trucks. Quite a few of them protesting the mandates on truckers like vaccines and wearing a mask inside your truck. Okay. And so Justin Trudeau, he wants everyone to know what to think about this. So we will play what he has to say about this because it's kind of ridiculous. Close to 90% of truckers in this country are vaccinated. Like close to 90% of Canadians. Over the past many months and years now, Canadians have stepped up to protect each other, to protect our frontline workers, to protect our elders, to protect our young people, to protect people like truckers who are putting food on our grocery store shelves. Canadians have stepped up to do the right thing to protect the freedoms and the rights of Canadians to get back to the things we love to do. We know the way through this pandemic is by getting everyone vaccinated. And the overwhelming majority, close to 90% of Canadians, have done exactly that. The small fringe minority of people who are on their way to Ottawa or who are uh, holding unacceptable uh, views uh, that they're expressing, do not represent the views of Canadians who have been there for each other, who know that following the science and stepping up to protect each other is the best way to continue to ensure our freedoms, our rights, our values as a country. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. I made some uh, notes during that and it was a lot i was like oh, i'll take down a couple notes no he just kept saying ridiculous at first off what's up with the what is up with the whispering voice does that make you sound more trustworthy when you're talking to people it's me that's being rational right now it's you that is the irrational actor here yeah, Biden does the same thing. When you do that, it sounds like you're being rational. It makes the other person seem crazy. That is why people do it, okay? 
Canadians have stepped up by taking their vaccines to protect the rights of other Canadians. That's one thing. Okay. That's a point. Um, those are words. Those are definitely words. If I were to confirm one thing, he said words. That's for sure. The way to get through the pandemic is by getting vaccinated and following the science. We've covered this plenty. The science is not on the side of the vaccine ending the pandemic right now. Okay. It just isn't. You know what? I wish it was because I wish the pandemic would go away. I'd like to not talk about it anymore, but it's not, it just isn't. It's not stopping transmission. It's not stopping infection. It's not stopping transmission. It is slowing down hospitalizations and deaths still not quite as much as people who have what is now known as post COVID immunity, what people used to call natural immunity, but whatever, we'll call it post COVID immunity, whatever you want to call it. Did we check to see whether or not any of these truckers have post COVID immunity? Cause if you're going to follow the science, well, you might want to follow the science. We've got a fringe minority of people. This, how long is this convoy? Have you guys seen any of the recent, is it like 50 miles long? I'm pretty sure it's like 50 miles long, 5,000 trucks, something like that. It's an insane amount of people, 50,000, maybe, I can't even remember how many it is. It's a ridiculous amount of trucks. Now, as far as the total amount of people, like here's how many people are in the country and here's how many people are, pro are protesting right now. Well, that is a minority of people. So <laughs> minorities are bad, right? You know, if you're not in the majority, then... We have to be against you. So uh, let's not care about what minorities want at all. That's not good. These people are holding unacceptable views. And we all have to do all this to protect the freedoms of people in Canada. All those things make perfect and total sense. Great job, Justin Trudeau. Although I will say that your face was not quite as black as I've seen it in the past. And you're going to need to work with that we need like a justin trudeau filter that puts a black face on him anytime that he's talking i think that that would be a pretty good idea all right i'm going to put all of these we have eight in here all right there they are there are the numbers only the color neutral thumbs up will be accepted as it and let me run back through these uh, i'll run back through in reverse order number eight was trudeau number seven was <laughs> Uh, get out Black Lives Matter on the elevator. Number six is the uh, San Jose gun law that's uh, not going to do anything to stop any gun crime. <clears throat> Number five is the sad white people bill in Florida that's just like the uh, black codes, just like it. You didn't even need to mention it, actually. It was so obvious it was just like it. Number four is Jim Acosta comparing Virginia to a Soviet-style police state. Makes sense. Complete and total sense. Number three is the government deciding to uh, look in the crypto regulation officially. Number two is uh, people are just mad because they're not going to get a white man on the Supreme Court this time, essentially. And number one is uh, the economic growth was so strong the GOP is at a loss for words. So get your votes in while I'm telling everyone to go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com. Join for as little as $5 a month so you can get in here and get your vote in next Friday. So go and do that. We have had people signing up recently, and I'm super excited and appreciative of that more than you know, because that is what pays the bills around here. It is you guys that literally keep this podcast going, that and our advertisers that I'm sure you do not skip through whenever you hear us doing an ad read on the podcast. And I appreciate that. Let's see, while the votes are getting in, I'll also tell you to go to mastermytrades.com. We can do yearly pricing, lifetime pricing, or you can pay monthly, whatever. But I go live every morning at 8 a.m. Central Time, 30 minutes before the market opens. I go through what the market's looking like, what I'm going to be watching and trading for the day. Let me tell you what, especially if you're doing a long-term account, but anytime, uh, with the market down as much as it is right now, 
now's the time to be looking at investing towards your future because you want to get in at these good prices. This is when the people with the big money are getting in, and this is why they make all of that crazy money during a crash. Like you've heard so many times, oh, look how much the wealth increased during the COVID pandemic for all of these people. That's because when this is happening, they're going in on it, okay? Yeah, we did have a really big morning uh, also, Jeff just mentioned, had a couple really big runners um, that we had some people in the group that trade a specific stock. And uh, I trade the SPY every morning, the S&P ETF, and uh, trade a strategy on that every morning. So seriously, if you've ever thought about doing it, there's 350 videos on the website, starting from very beginner status all the way up to the strategies that we are trading every day. And you can get on there and watch live every morning. So go do it. Go to mastermytrades.com. Let's see who won. Oh, we got number six. What was that? Was that the gun law? I think that was the gun law. Is that San Jose? I'm scrolling down through all. Yeah, okay. San Jose approving the first U.S. law mandating liability insurance for gun owners, which literally the mayor said that it's not going to stop shootings. City councilwoman that voted for it said that it is not going to help the people in her district. They're going to take the money and put it towards a bunch of nonprofits, but the nonprofits don't exist, and it requires people to buy insurance that also does not exist. And if you have a gun permit... You're not required to get the insurance, yet somehow this is supposedly going to help. I don't really know how it's going to help. All it does is help people politically because it sounds like they did something and people who don't actually look into any of the laws, they'll say, oh, well, you know, they did pass that thing that's going to be helping uh, my little son not get shot when he's going down the street, you know, so I do want to vote for that person again. And that's really all it is, is just uh, just a whole bunch of politics for people who don't actually look into it. And it is mandating without a penalty. I'm still trying to look at what their enforcement mechanism is for this, because literally it, it's, it says that it encourages people to get the insurance and then is saying that there's not really going to be much enforcement for this. So I I don't even know what the heck their plans are. And by the way, that $1.3 million they're estimating, that's probably based on everyone getting the insurance that could possibly get the, uh, or everyone paying the fee that could possibly pay the fee, but not everyone's going to pay the fee because there's almost no reason to, uh, to pay the fee. So anyhow, that is the one that wins this week. There were a lot of good contenders, but only one must win every week, and that is the one that did it. And of course, we all know that number nine would have been the clear winner, which is the fact that Charlie is not here because of COVID. And <laughs> I think that if I would have put number nine and presented that, that that's probably what would have won. Okay, tell a friend, tell a family member, tell the children to follow this podcast. We got an interview coming out this weekend that's going to be really good. Everyone that's in the Locals group is going to get it here in just a little bit. So that's another reason to go over to Locals. Mainly it's so you can chat and be really mean to Charlie during the podcast episode. So that's why you want to join up for that. Tell everyone, if you do all those things, we'll be right back here again on Monday. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.